To Monday, I'm Dooner, and uh, thank you for spending a little time with us. I know on a day like today, everyone's head is on the national championship. I don't know how we're going to get any work done today, but we got a great program for you. I'm supporting Georgia. I, you know, my brother's in red and black up here. I got the uniform on. They're 13 point favorites. I don't know who you guys got the frogs or the dogs. ESPN's got a poll up, and it's a house divided. It's like what 52 percent for the frogs over here. I don't know if that's people hating on the uh, the overdog, right? Supporting the underdog. Maybe don't blame them, but uh, I got to go to Southdown here in Georgia. Who you guys got? Let me know in the comments. Speaking of which, talking about championship, I got to give women in trucking a championship for what they did with the Girl Scouts here in this badge that they put together. Take a look at this little program. Grace Sharkey, she reported this over the weekend in the logbook, and it's that NFI right here. Grace Sharkey, third-party logistics writer, NFI Industries recently held a trucks are for girls event. This is in Hagerstown, Maryland, utilizing the Girl Scout transportation patch program that was developed by women in trucking themselves. The event is designed to teach women, obviously, or young girls about transportation, the importance of logistics, respecting trucking and all of that things. Uh, NFE operation employees spent the day teaching these girls about how their favorite store products found their way to local shelves and how to drive a truck using the women in trucking safety simulator. Very cool. And Girl Scouts, hey, they're part of the supply chain doing that last mile delivery of Girl Scout cookies. You got a picture of that merit badge? Can we take a look at that? There we go. I'm going to put that right here on my What the Truck jersey. Thanks again for that one, Charles Gracie. Pretty cool, though. Do the Boy Scouts have one of these? My boys are kind of getting of age for that kind of thing. Anyways, coming up on the show today, we got a lot. And this is this is one. This is one of those topics. Wherever I bring it up, truckers are coming at me like I'm out here on Congress floor. Thanks, Tanner. <laughs> but, but today we've got Grayson Brulte from the Road to Autonomy podcast. I met this guy when I was over at Tour a couple of months ago. And when you go out to these events, it's funny because like a PR person will send you an invite and it's almost like Mortal Kombat. Like you don't know where you're going to end up. You don't know who's going to be there. You don't know who you're going to fight to the death. Well, this gentleman, I didn't have to fight him to the death. He was, uh, he was really smart. He knew a lot about autonomous and it was really helpful, I think, for both of us to be here because I know a lot about trucking. He knew a lot about autonomy. And there's questions when you go to these companies, they just won't answer like, how much does it cost? Well, he knows how much sensors cost. So he's able to break down stuff like that. It was super cool. We'll get up in that. And like, look, drivers out there, you're afraid of, you're afraid of autonomy. I understand that. You think it's coming. It's a big deal. We're going to have a sobering take on this. We'll talk about what's good, what's bad, what you can have to expect. Information is power. Don't run from it. We also have Flexports. Nathan Strang here. He's going to talk about Chinese New Year contracts, what's going on in global trade. We're going to chop it up. And then uh, Trey Kremer from XGS. He Started out studying frogs and then moved over to Freight. I don't know how those two relate, so maybe we'll find out. And maybe he's a TCU fan. Let's get to it all, though. I see Grayson in the green room, so let's tip the band. Then we'll bring him right on up. Did you know that AIT publishes a global transportation market report every month? So if your business needs information about air and ocean trends, carrier updates, economic forecasts, North American trucking, and customs clearance news, you can get all of that and more in an easy-to-digest overview. Best of all, it's free to download. The next edition came out December 7th. That was a couple days ago, so you can go get it right now at AITWorldwide.com. Let's bring Grayson up now. Grayson, how you doing, man? Doing great, Dooner. Great to be here. We had a lot of fun in Albuquerque. 
We really did. Yeah, I'd never been out to Albuquerque before, and you go to these things, and you know, you hope that it's a cool environment. There's some people you can meet and talk to, and um, we kind of like gravitated to each other almost immediately when we got there. And I found you just incredibly knowledgeable about this space. What did you think of Torque, though? Uh, that's one of the probably one of the latest autonomous trucks you've seen in action. The polite, kind truck is how I would describe it. The truck was very polite. It was very kind. <laughs> I, saw that. I saw your tweet. You're like, it's extra polite. I can see drivers, like I'm from Boston. I can see drivers that are kind of getting pissed off at some of these things because it was, uh, you get passed quite a bit. It's trying to be safe. That's the whole point of these things at the stage that they're at. What we really need though, the honk game. So when I'm there with my family and my daughter's doing the honk, the autonomous truck has to learn the honk game. Really Think about how, you, how much trust you're going to build with that. Do you think, should you like do transformer stuff? Do you need like a holographic driver though? Because would it be weird if you're a kid, you look over, you go honk, honk, and then like there's nothing there, but it honks? Or would that be, maybe that would be cool. Let's step it into the future. What if we augment it? And perhaps depending on what part of the country it is, you have an individual and augmented reality based on that, or it's a promotion with Marvel or DC Comics and they can have their favorite character in there. And think about the trust that it would build. <laughs> Grayson, our audience who's never met you before, tell them a little bit about yourself. How did you get into podcasting? To quote uh, Norman Osborne, I'm a bit of a podcaster myself. I just fell into it one day. We were getting ready the pandemic, and I was bored, and I had a bunch of friends in Florida and said, I'm going to start a podcast, talk all about things autonomy. Do you want to come on? And I have overwhelmingly yes. I said, okay, I'm just going to start this thing. And then away it went, and we're very fortunate that it – it keeps growing, and what we're trying to do in the road to autonomy is tell interesting stories about autonomy, the impacts from an economic standpoint, the impacts on society, and how you as a listener or subscriber can benefit from autonomy. Autonomy will lift all boats. Autonomy will not kill jobs. Autonomy will create jobs. That's one of the big things that we're trying to get across. It's really healthy for the economy and for the drivers that are worried. Don't worry. The autonomy is not going to replace your job. It's going to help augment your job, but you'll be able to retire. You're still going to have the trucking job you started today. You'll be able to retire with it. You know, interesting. So I was going to ask you that. What do you think? What do you like that you're seeing in autonomy right now? There's a lot of critics. There's a lot of people who are evangelists of it. You personally, what do you think is good? Consolidation. I'll tell you point blank. Consolidation is healthy. Is it controversial? Yes. Will, will my comments irritate people? Yes. But it's the truth. There was too much money chasing too many problems. Now the money is consolidating around winners. We saw the relationship with, with Torque and Daimler. We're seeing what Volvo is doing, Volvo Transport Solutions. We're seeing what Kodiak's doing with Pilot Flying J. The money starting to consolidate and winners are starting to emerge. It, right now, if you look at it from an autonomous trucking standpoint, Waymo from a balance sheet perspective is in the lead. And then everybody else is starting to follow along. What we're really going to see over the next 12, 24 months, if we do go into a recession, who, who's left standing? I believe you'll probably have three to four companies left standing. And those will be the winners that will have the partners that will generate the economic benefits of autonomy. You know, there's, it, it's interesting because I think a lot of people, they bundle together electrification and autonomy. But when you go to these autonomous companies, because they're trying to put a solution for long haul, all of these trucks are actually on diesel trucks right now. That'll change. I mean, a lot of these have projections of like 10 years out, but most of these pilots right now, they're running on uh, diesel trucks. What do you think the state of the tech is right now? Are you more of a long view? I know Torque told us, you know, we're looking at like 10 years before this is really viable. If you're in looking terms at of from, trucking, I mean more in terms of trucking, but we'll talk passenger too. That's a little bit different. <laughs> well, that was a good conversation. In terms of trucking, you will see in the next three to five years lanes automated, perhaps from Houston to Dallas. You'll see maybe Jacksonville to Atlanta. Those routes will move driver out, and the routes will stay very constrained. 
And then as the technology moves, it's 10, 15, 20 years away until you'll see mass adoption. But it will start in high traffic lanes is where it's going to start. I would say the next three to five years, we will have trucks running with no driver. And hopefully the kids will be able to play the honk game then. What is what is the bigger challenge right now, though? Like, I just listened to your podcast. You're talking to Gatik, and policy was a big issue that came up in that one. What do you think will be the biggest challenge for the rest of this decade? Will it be getting policy rolled out and getting the public on board? Or is it the tech and the limitations and just the sheer cost of some of these sensors? The, the biggest hurdle as it relates to trucking is public trust. The public is going to have to trust that the vehicle is calm, that it's polite, the public is going to have to trust to know, okay, this vehicle doesn't have to sleep. This vehicle gets you from point A to point B safely. Public trust is going to be the big issue. We, at some point, we do need a national framework. We do have to get autonomous trucks into California. We saw what happened in the port of LA, uh, San Pedro and Long Beach during the pandemic. With the backup, autonomous trucks could have helped that. We just need to level set and properly set expectations. The technology is good. The technology will help the economy and the technology will create jobs. And then the underlying thing is trust. We have The public has to trust this. Lawmakers have to trust this. That's going to be good for their districts. And it's all going to come together through trust. And the companies that are working on it today are, are doing a really good job of getting there. It's just going to take time to properly educate the public. You know, it's interesting you, you mentioned the Port of L.A. because it, this speaks to an issue that happens just because of the fragmented nature of supply chain, the fragmented nature of technology. But one of the big issues with that port congestion and one of the things all of the drayage carriers were complaining about was not that they didn't have trucks. They were in long lines of trucks waiting to get in there, but it was the appointment and scheduling situation. Like they're not using the appropriate tech. Now with a regular truck or an autonomous truck, you really need to update that, especially for autonomous trucks. Do you have a lot of confidence though, that the intermediaries and the other partners in logistics can get on board as well? That's traditionally been one of our real problems here in trucking. Look at what's happening in the Port of Charleston and the Port of Savannah. They're trying to upgrade and they're trying to innovate. And if more ports, sorry, more freight starts going into those ports, the Port of LA will be forced to go. But the Port of LA has a labor issue. The question is, do companies want to ship to ports on the East Coast to avoid the labor issue? That's something we have to be seeing. But you, you, no matter how much pressure you have from labor, you have to innovate because at the end of the day, your customer is the U.S. economy. And do you go for politics want to bring the U.S. economy to a screeching halt? That's something I don't want to be responsible for, but it's something that they're being responsible for today. But they have to innovate because the American public will vote them out. I mean, two places with pretty strong unions, rail and the ports, right? And they both fight against automation. That uh, that comes up every contract period. It's actually in the Port of LA's contract and the, the Longshoremen's Union contract right now trying to fight down a lot of automation. But one question always comes up from people is like, why don't we just automate trains? Those are on a track. So is there a whole other issue here we got to think about too, which is the labor side, right? And the labor side, a lot is not happy with the specter of automation. It's not. Today, you have autonomous trains yeah. operating and, and test. Labor has to come to the table and have a meaningful dialogue and not throw bombs. It, throwing bombs and asking for everything is not going to happen. Come to the come there and have a meaningful conversation. I've tried to sit down with the team steers and say, we don't want to meet with you. Let's just have an open conversation about this technology, how this technology could benefit you. Your business is built on dues. You want dues? Let's figure out a model where you're going to get your dues and allow the technology to run. Don't sit here and hide behind the labor issue. We have to come to the table and have meaningful negotiations. What happened to the days they're long gone now, and hopefully they come back when you can sit across the aisle and you can put your hand out and make a deal with somebody you might not agree with that benefits both parties. That's where we have to come. Stop digging in your heels, Labor, and come to the table to, to do what's right for the American people. 
Interesting. Interesting. So what what don't you like that you're seeing in autonomy? Uh, you kind of alluded to it in what you did like. There was too much uh, fragmentation, too many companies and, you know, too much money chasing. So you like the consolidation. What else don't you like? I don't like some of the infighting. There, there's industry infighting that's not healthy. It's both on the passenger side and it's both on the truck side. We have to come together. There is plenty of revenue to go around for this entire industry. We have to stop playing the the nitpicking, the little games, just to come together and let this technology benefit all. The companies that are going to win are going to win. Don't tear down a company because your company went under. That's not healthy. That's acting like a child. We run businesses. That's what everybody has to realize, that this is a business. This is not a playground. We're not in middle school anymore. Come together and operate and truly run a business. Interesting. Interesting. How, how, do, you, uh, how do you suggest they go about that? You're, you're probably making a lot more money if you had that answer. We all would. But what do you think would be kind of that olive branch? Man up. Man, Man up. up. If, if, you, if you have an issue with the company, take it head on with the company. We all know each other. Don't, don't spread rumors behind somebody's back. Take it head on. Do you think any of these companies, and we'll stay on the trucking side for now, do you, do you not like what they're doing? Or is there one that you really are a champion of right now? I'm a champion of the entire industry. It's, it's not my job to, it's not like a politician here to put to pick winners and losers. The, the best technology and the best management will win. I'll give you some examples of really great management. I think with Andrew Cullian and Peter Von Schmidt, who we met at Torque, is phenomenal. It's the Torque culture. They have a really great culture. You look at Waymo. Waymo has the, the balance sheet. Kodiak has a great culture. It's, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to culture and business mode. Who, who can build the best moat to capture the most amount of revenue, but has the culture to sustain it? The, the company is not necessarily the best technology that's going to win. It's the best business plan and the best culture that's going to win at the end of the day, because the culture is what will drive the long-term additional revenue. You know, what I thought was really interesting about our Torque visit was just how they positioned everything. And they're, they're a lot different than the venture back company, companies who seem to have a, uh, they're a little bit pitchier, right? They have much more of a sense of urgency, probably because, you know, they're, you know, they're scared of cash burn and these companies do burn a lot of money. But Torque was like, look, you're dead in the water if you don't have an OEM. This is still costly. This isn't viable for most trucking companies. This isn't pilot. And we're 10 years out. They were very much laying it on the table that this is not, they weren't trying to sell us anything. Yeah, they're right. You're, you're going to have to have the OEM integration. The trucks are going to have to come off the line from the factory at some point. It's probably going to become a federal mandate where they're not going to want retrofitted vehicles. They're going to want factory built vehicles. Factory built vehicles, as we talked about earlier, they, they build trust from the public. Oh, this was built by Freightliner. This was built by Packard. This was built by Volvo. And I think Volvo is probably one of the most interesting, if not the most interesting company in autonomous trucking, just the way that they're going around with the the autonomous transport solutions. Interesting. What do you think about the issue here? And we, I asked Torque about this. And, I, and the like, what happened with Uber came up back in, I don't know, when was that, 2016 or 2018, that accident. How big is an accident on the passenger? Like, because the passenger side can tank the trucking side, can it not? It's all intermingled. Because if you speak to certain individuals in the media, self-driving car gets in crash. Self, self-driving car hit this. Self-driving car did that. Their ad revenue goes through the roof. That, it, it attracts so much revenue, and that's what's happening. But we don't talk about, oh, Mary, Mary got into a crash today. Bob got into a crash today. It's this really horrific incident where if you look at it, and it, this, is, this kind of ties into the celebrity culture that we live in. When a celebrity gets into a, into a crash or a celebrity gets into a crash and untimely perishes, 
It's headlines across the United States, across the world for that matter. When an individual gets into a crash and, and perhaps they perish as well, unfortunately, it's nowhere. But what the, what the public and the media does not understand, that individual is a celebrity to their family. That's the, that's the point to hit home. That individual is a celebrity of their family, and they don't get the coverage. We have to start looking at, at this crashes on an equal footing, not, not elevating one, one crash over another. If we elevated every single crash that happens in a human-driven vehicle or, or a human-driven truck, it wouldn't be a pretty picture. But it happens with a self-driving truck or a self-driving car. It's just driving an agenda, and it's not healthy for this technology because this technology will save lives. This technology will have a very bright impact on the future of the U.S. economy. And frankly, we're going to be dependent on it in the future. Now, you got to see Torque Sensor Suite up hands, and you actually helped me kind of price them out a little bit because we couldn't get an answer on how much they cost. And it was like 800000 or or so. They have kind of, I was in a plus one, a plus truck, like a month before, and they had a completely different like suite of sensors. What did you think of Torque's solution, at least what they're going with right now? I like Torx solution, as you heard from the presentation, and we and we saw, and I pointed out to you, is the redundancy. Torx putting redundancy. If one sensor goes down, the truck's not going to stop. They're making a very safe system. That's the common trend that you're seeing across the entire AV trucking industry is redundancy. Without redundancy, you you cannot scale. There's just no way that you can scale. You're not going to be guaranteed the uptime that's so crucial to your business. So it's all about redundancy. Interesting. Have you seen any concepts of what the final versions of some of these are supposed to look like? Because they're still very beta with those like giant racks of sensors on top of them. They're great. They're integrated. It, it's beautiful. It's, it's built right into the material. Today, it's, you're taking Lego blocks and you're essentially putting them and connecting everything. The trucks, the Fusion, the prototypes, they're completely blended in. They blend in. If you're an individual driving on a, on a freeway in the United States, you won't even know that's an autonomous truck unless you look in the window because that's how beautifully integrated the design's going to be. Now, what do you think of the companies that promote driver? They're like trying to sell you full autonomy. They're trying to sell you a full autonomous truck. But out of the other side of their mouth, they're sort of like, this is just to uh, enable driver autonomy and driver safety and all of these things. Um, in my opinion, I think what the buyers of these are really looking for is to get that driver out of the cab. Is that your opinion too? Do you think this is sort of driver-assisted? Because that seems like it'll be table stakes anyway. Driver-assisted like, you know, autopilot, those kind of things. But we're talking full autonomy. I don't think they want the driver in there. No, the, the, if, in order for the economics to work, you have to remove the driver. It makes no sense, right? That's what it comes down to. It makes no sense. These level two systems, uh, or ADAS, they're marketing them as eventually getting to autonomy. They're not. The problem is you have companies, the ones that you're alluding to, are not giving a clear message. The public is saying, oh, I'm going to, this autonomous truck. It's not an autonomous truck. It's not an autonomous car. You, you can't go today and buy one. And it's, the message is getting convoluted. Then you have the individuals that are building the true, fully autonomous systems that are, that are doing it right, and they're not intermixing it. There is no such thing as a level two system and a level four system that overlap. You're either developing a level two ADAS system or you're developing a level four system. And when they get confused, and that causes the public to get confused, and the lawmakers get confused, oh, we have to act because this self-driving car got into which accident. We have to act. Mr. Official, it was not a self-driving car. I repeat, Mr. Official, it was not a self-driving car. You can't buy one today. Well, you can buy a Tesla with FSD, which uh, used to be called full self-driving. I don't know if they're, did they, are they not allowed to call it full self-driving anymore? Does it have to just be 
that um, that acronym. What do you think of? Let's let's go. We'll move a little passenger here. Uh, we can talk about the Tesla Semi, but let's talk about their autonomy and solutions. Probably the one most people are familiar with. What is your thoughts on it? There's a highly, highly advanced version of ADAS. It is not a self-driving car. The marketing, to be very frank, is misleading. It's a highly advanced version of ADAS. With that being said, I think Tesla's a, a fantastically innovative company. The one thing that's going off topic on Tesla, I think is important for your viewers and listeners to take a look at. Watch what Tesla does with the Dojo computer. Mm-hmm. Does Tesla pull an Amazon AWS and start allowing individuals to build AI on there? If they do, you're adding on another $300, $400 billion in market cap if they make that move. Interesting. You know, so we both know Omar at Whole Mars, and this is one of his videos. It's one he posted the other day. He's doing a night drive. He said zero takeovers, and it performed great for him. What are your thoughts on uh, on what he's been posting? I know you follow him, too, and the state of that, and also just unrolling it to a lot of their users as they have. Tesla's doing a good job. It's not there yet. It's mm. it. Will they get there? I hope they get there for the, the sake of the industry, and they, and they probably will get there. Is it a self-driving car today? No. The thing that concerns me around the marketing, I have no problem with, with the beta testing and individuals such as Omar who is taking it in a manner that is safe and efficient. There's some individuals who abuse the system, and I think it's funny to lay in the back of the vehicle and take a nap while it drives down the highway. That's dangerous. You have to responsibly test it. And if individuals are willing to responsibly test it, that's a different conversation than individuals that are abusing the system. No, it's true. And like you talk about people talking out of both sides of their mouth. There are a lot of Tesla fans who are like, yeah, yeah, it's about safety. And at the same time, we're sharing links with each other on how to 3D print or how to buy uh, little weights to put on the wheels. So the sensors are turned off because people find the safety sensors annoying, which is a challenge. Because if you find the safety sensors annoying, it probably means you don't care that much about the safety. And that's the stage it's at. So I kind of agree with you. It's a little scary to put people out there. Omar is a different case. Omar is out here. He likes Tesla a lot. He supports Tesla a lot. So he's going to put them in the best light possible. You have to understand that yeah and the other thing that, that's not elon doesn't get enough credit for in my opinion is the supercharger network if yes. he didn't build the supercharger network we would not be having a conversation about electric vehicles today he's going to build what they believe is a tesla uh, semi heavy duty charging network we wouldn't be having the conversation about class eight electric trucks if it wasn't for him at the end of the day when we go to electrification whether it be on a passenger car or it be on a semi it's going to come down to infrastructure Who's going to have the cojones to build the infrastructure, to manage it and roll it out? And Elon did. He built it and he's building it again. If you look at the question I have, will other large OEMs on the trucking side, will they follow his lead and start to build this out? Because no matter as trucking, Class A trucking looks to decarbonize, it's going to come down to infrastructure. If you're going to use hydrogen, how are you going to build a hydrogen fueling network? If you're going to use electrification, how are you going to use the the electrification depots, it's really going to come down to infrastructure at the end of the day as we move towards electrification and lower decarbonization for trucking. Yeah, that, that is a great point. And you saw all of the people if online who were posting about their road trips in non-Tesla vehicles. And they had to use like, a, you know, Access America chargers and all the chargers that are not in the Tesla network. And it was a horror story for a lot of drivers. I mean, that's just not that's not just Tesla propaganda. They've done a great job with their chargers. Do they need to open those up to everybody? Are those open up to everybody? Do we need to all work together to accelerate this? That's one of those points you made at the beginning. And if Tesla's the one who is there, then so be it. If they're the one with the computer that can actually uh, process all of this information, they're the one with the charging network, then, then that's it. The number one thing you need to remember when Tesla, when it comes to charging, reliability. 
The mm. Tesla supercharging network is reliable. Can you imagine a, a situation where you have a shipping company that's running electric trucks and they're trying to go to all these public chargers and they can't charge and the freight doesn't get there on time? You've got a problem. To answer your question from earlier, yes, the Tesla network is open now, but we're going to need more OEMs to come together to develop reliable charging networks, especially as we go into to Class A trucks. We cannot rely on a patchwork of charging systems that are highly unreliable. You can go on chargerhelp.com. You can see the unreliability of there, especially as it becomes mission critical for freight. Perhaps all the OEMs come together in a joint venture and say, okay, we're going to build this and we're going to guarantee the uptime. And oh, and if the uptime's down, we'll, we'll put an insurance backstop to guarantee that. That's It has to come down to reliability and they all have to come together to build it. Infrastructure is the one thing that, they, that all of the trucking companies should not compete on. We want stable infrastructure and we want the safest deployment. If we can agree on those two things, compete on everything else. Don't compete on safety and don't compete on infrastructure. Wow. All right, Grayson, before I let you go, two predictions. The first one is, what do you think the biggest breakthrough we'll see in autonomy is during this decade? Driver out operations in multiple states, which will lower the cost of goods for the consumer. And that's when we'll build trust. Interesting. Interesting. That's very soon. You had a t- you, before 2030, you think that's going to happen. Um, yeah, yes. maybe, maybe on some geofenced routes. Uh, second prediction, who you got tonight, frogs or dogs? Dogs. All right, go dogs. Right here, I'll give you a little cowbell for that one. Tell everyone how they can find your show and become a subscriber and maybe find you on social media. Yeah, um, so the show is Road to Autonomy. Uh, we're at Road to Autonomy on Twitter. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, great platforms. And if you want to follow me directly, I'm at G Brulty on Twitter. And uh, check us out and enjoy the conversation on autonomy. And Dooner, thanks for having me on, sir. I'll have you on again soon. Thanks for coming by today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take it easy. All right. Hey, you know, Manifest is coming up in Vegas at the end of the month. I'm flying out there. And it looks like they got something new over at the Gentleman Clubs. Let's take a look over here, what they got happening. You love those uh, Boston Dynamic robot dogs? Well, you're going to love them even more when they're um, getting gawked at. At Apparently, this is a strip club here. People are tossing money at the the Boston Dynamics dogs. And um, they've even put a pair of underwear on this thing to tantalize uh, the men in attendance. My question is, do you, like, if you go to this club, do you have to tell your wife you were, you know, Googling at the robot dogs? You got to tell your computer? I don't know. I don't know. Is, is Nathan going to be there? Nathan Strang, director of Ocean Trade Management at Flexport, is here in the green room. Nathan, are you going to be at uh, Manifest? Uh, I have no comment on that. I'm going to stay away. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, Dooner. I, uh, I really appreciate that. That was, I, uh, that was one of the best lead-ins I've ever had. Well, I'm just, look, I just, I, it's, isn't it kind of weird to go to like a, a, like a robot club like that alone? I would feel like a creep if I went there alone in a trench coat. I need to, I need to, I need to come up with a group of people. <laughs> I, I, you either got to go as a group or just own it. Just go. You're like, I'm just doing this. There's, there's no way of getting around that one. Man, how's, how's the year treating you so far? How are, how are things been? You look great. You're over there in California. Is it, uh, are you underwater? I heard it's been like raining like crazy. Uh, it is about to pour rain here. It is not a, a great day, um, for, for weather here in Southern California. The ports have been handling it pretty well. I've been, I've been surprised. We've had some local flooding here, but not too bad. Um, but yeah, how's the year going? It's not too bad. It's, it's starting to ramp up. I think people have finally come back and and realized that it's a new year and started to worry about their freight and, and what 23, 2023 is going to look like. So that's been my focus uh, since getting back from the holidays. Well, you know, speaking of New Year's, there's another one coming up, Chinese New Year. It's about, what, 13 days away? I think it's the 22nd. 
this year? What year is it, Nathan? Do you know? Yeah, no, it's pretty early. What, what year is it this year? Uh, it is the year of the rabbit. The year of the rabbit. Okay, great. Well, if we follow that white rabbit, are we in for a lot of trouble during Chinese New Year? I was talking last week about the COVID situation that's going on over there. It went from like lockdown riots in the street to like 99% of us have COVID. And it's like, whoa, you know, we got whiplash over here. What are you seeing over at Flexport? You guys are massive. Um, yeah, the impact hasn't been as widespread as, as I think some of it is getting reported. It's been a lot more localized. I think where it has, we have seen impact, like it's been fairly severe and that seems to have been the trend in China over the last year or so is heavy local impact, but the widespread impact has been pretty low. What we're hearing going into Chinese new year, um, is that a lot of, uh, um, warehouses and factories are going to actually close early, some up to a, a week early. The impact should be bigger because of that, but I think a lot of importers have moved most of their goods already. So the Chinese New Year impact isn't going to be as strong in that sense. We've also seen carriers be a little bit more proactive with that. They're allowing earlier equipment issue. So you can pull your containers uh, up to 21 days prior to your sailing date for some carriers. It's, it varies a little bit, but that's pretty generous free time. So, um, yeah, it hasn't been as big of an impact, I think, this year just because of where we sit with inventory levels and, and where shipping is in general. So, I mean, it's kind of, it couldn't have come at a better time, I guess. I mean, good thing it's not, I don't know, like June of 2020 or something like that. I mean, there were some nightmare scenarios we were in, and now it's... I mean, it's good news, bad news, I guess, when you're seeing things like that. So how are you like, what are you advising people to to prep for this? Don't freak out. Don't panic. And uh, there's plenty of capacity right now. Do the steamship lines like conspiracy theory time. Are, mm-hmm. Do they mind this? Like they are they are losing control of pricing very, very rapidly. They're all the way back to where they started. They never maintained that 20,000 number. Thank God. None of us wanted to. But do they want a situation to come up again where they can control some capacity here? Well, I think starting with the first part of your question there was uh, more about like the importers. And I think a lot of them, they, they took our advice. So they've anticipated this a lot better, I think, than we've seen in previous years. They've anticipated that they would see this um, coming up to CNY, especially with the COVID restrictions, that it would come in um, with earlier closings. And I also think the carriers anticipated that a little bit and, and got ahead of it. So I think that that minimized the impact as well. People were just better prepared this year than they were last year. And also without the inventory crunch, that helps. Um, what are the carriers doing? Yeah, I, I think it's mixed. We've seen rates to the West Coast plateau. They've They've kind of hit a little bit of their floor. The East Coast and inland ports are still dropping, uh, but they always lag. They they when the rates are going up, they went up a little bit slower, and when now they're coming down, they're they're lagging a little bit on that side. Uh, we've seen a couple plays to kind of get the last bit of cargo before Chinese New Year with a, a couple you know spot rate reductions from carriers, but I wouldn't say that that is an indication of the market. It seems like things have definitely slowed down. the The carriers, I think, right now are less worried. Uh, kind of about the floor of the rates. And when you're seeing blank sailings and you're seeing um, services restricted or skipped, it's really more for them about controlling cost than it is about controlling the rates. There's just not enough cargo in the system for them to, you know, they would have to blank everything if they really wanted to to to, to maneuver the rates uh, more, I guess you would say, in their favor. Um, right now, it's more about controlling costs. It doesn't make sense to sell a ship at forty percent full if you're already taking a loss on every container. Wait for the wait for the cargo to come in. But uh, that's what we've been seeing more so from the carriers in, in terms of schedule management. 
So, hey, the Lodestar called bid season a ticking doomsday clock. See, it's not just freightways with headlines like that. It was the Lodestar. They're the ones who called the doomsday clock first. What is happening with bid season? Is it a doomsday clock ticking? Is, is, it, is a huge mess coming? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's going to be a huge mess. I think that we're actually going to see a lot more normalization. I think everybody kind of understands where their where the rates for them should be, both the clients and the carriers. Um, nobody's out there, right? No one wants to 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 lose money. Everybody needs to make money in order to maintain their business from the from from the top down. I think everybody understands their budgeting a little bit better. Better. What I think the biggest thing is going to be, though, is building back in trust. What does a fixed rate contract mean? So when you're going into bid season, what are you getting? What does it mean to you as a client? What does it mean to the carrier? What does it mean to us as the as the forwarder or broker? Um, and building back that trust is going to be the the biggest thing we're going to see in bid season. We're kind of getting after that a little bit, and we've we've seen it elsewhere in the industry. But a focus for Flexport is, you know, a lot of people abandoned their bid their bids last year. They abandoned their contracts. So hey, come back in. Start with a Q one validity contract. Start now with your bid. Let's build that back in. Let's get everybody moving on the freight their freight again. Let's get everybody onto a contract a little bit early and see how it plays out as we go into bid season. Don't have to move all your cargo right now on a contract, but if you can start moving some and start building the trust between the parties um, on both sides, then I think that that will make bid season a lot less contentious. What, what is it? What is with contracts and freight, Nathan? How come nobody seems to honor them? Uh, that's a great question. And if we could solve <laughs> that one, I think we would all make a ton of money. I, there's a, well, there's a lot of companies out there that are trying to solve that issue, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think enforceability of contracts, just, you know, you know, not to get too deep into it, but everybody sees different value in it. And sometimes, um, that value will change throughout the year, I guess we'll say. And yeah, I, I, I guess there was no, I don't want to say there was no good reason to enforce it. There's always a good reason to enforce your contract. There's, there's always a good reason for you to, to, to honor your, your word. Um, but I think on both sides that people just decided, like, you know, look out for for what's best for me and what's best for my business and what's best for for my profitability. But um, I don't necessarily also think that they were fully abandoned or fully are fully worthless, like I hear in some places. They're, they're definitely worthwhile. They're definitely <laughs> worth something to to the people who are signing them. As long as they benefit you, they're worth something, of course. Right. <laughs> It's kind of culture. It's a culture. I think all too. contracts are all contracts are mutually beneficial, right? The, to, at the end of it, at the time when they're signed, maybe. I mean, look, it's it's kind of a cultural thing too. Uh, if everybody thinks that contracts don't really mean anything, and everyone in the industry sort of operates that way, then they won't really mean much. And if we decide to honor them and be good partners, you can go that direction too. I mean, that's kind of a a generality. You mentioned the East Coast West Coast shift. You know, big widening of the Panama Canal was part of. I mean, this wasn't just a labor thing. There's a big widening of the Panama Canal. There's a big dredging over in Savannah. There was dredging up in Boston. Billions of dollars were spent to make this shift happen. Now, play this really nice video of a boat going through the Panama Canal. Now, Nathan, tell me a little bit about this shift. What are you seeing? Do you think it's going to stick? Oh, no, that'll fit. Absolutely. No, like, do you think that the, the East Coast is going to stick over the West Coast? You think oh, no, they're going to avoid I don't yeah, think he's going to get stuck. I, this is just Zen. This is just Zen watching this I boat. I would hope it would. The, the, the well getting them through is just magic like the amount of space on either side of that ship is is inches do i think that the shift is going to stick yeah i think it was always coming 
I, I think we were always going to see that. There's only so much capacity that you can push through the West Coast of the United States. And when you look at the population of the United States, most people live you know, east of the Mississippi River. So it makes sense to land the cargo closer to um, uh, closer to the consumer. What, you know, brought cargo to the West Coast was that it would come across, obviously, fast from, from Asia, and then it would move on to, you know, rail services. But as you continue to add more and more capacity to the systems, it becomes saturated. And I think we're just seeing a natural movement in the market. And, and it's something that I wouldn't be worried about is there's still going to be plenty of cargo for the West Coast. I'm really excited to see these East Coast ports grow uh, and expand because I think it adds a lot of value to the consumer. And anytime you have choice and anytime you have additional value add to to your shipping, that's always a good thing. And that's a win for everybody, uh, including the West Coast ports. They don't want as, as much as they say they want the cargo, right? I, I don't think they want the reputation of being completely backed up all the time. So if they can find a better operating rhythm, that's going to be better for them as well. So that's the carriers. How about the brokers, right? Uh, the uh, big company, CH Robinson, unavoidable news. I mean, they have a bad... They have a bad quarter like they did last year. They get rid of their CEO. The rumors start flying around. What do you make of that situation? I just think it's a lot of companies under pressure right now when you look at the economy. Uh, I think a lot of companies are trying to figure out what does profitability look for us. It's a struggle that any company is going to have. And when you look at it, you're going to maybe it's time to bring in new leadership. Maybe it's time to bring in a fresh perspective. Um, Flexport, we've always been a growing company. It, we've always been transforming. We've, we've kind of always brought in fresh perspective, which I think is good for us. And I think it'd be good for any company to retool. I never want to see anybody, of course, lose their, lose their job. That's, that's always uh, a bad thing. And I think any company, including CH, CH Robinson, will admit that that's not something that they ever intended and what they wanted to do. But it's a, it's kind of a reality of where we are in the market right now. And, uh, um, uh, and I hope we don't see that in 2023. I'd really like to see everybody come back to work and the economy grow and, and everybody keep winning as we go forward. What do you think of the rumors? There might be a buyer. Your Flexport came up. I know you have no say in that. But what do you what do you think about the rumors of a buyer? You think some M&A is going to happen in the space? And if not CHRW, you think some other big dogs consolidate? I, I don't know specifically about the CHRW situation. That's not something I really looked too far into. I, I, I try and, and I have enough to worry about my own. But I think <laughs> M&A is something that we've seen in general across, right? We've seen the carriers go out and purchase forwarders. We've seen them go into the air market. We've seen them try and become a little bit more vertically integrated. I think that that is, is and always has been a trend in this business, that we're seeing those 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 desires for vertical integration. Um, I think that there's a lot of good value, um, out there in, in a lot of these quarters, especially at CH Robinson. They have a great reputation, of course. Uh, they have a great customer base and they do a lot of good things. So I don't know. I, I would expect to see more. I, what I would be more interested in is, is kind of what you're seeing more in the carrier space as they go after, uh, more vertical integration there. You see O&E buying terminals on the West Coast. CMA has bought a couple terminals. I expect that trend to, to increase as well, um, on the carrier side. How about on the ocean? Just looking ahead, once we get past Chinese New Year into the next quarter and moving forward, you see this market recovering? You see it doing an upward trajectory? Or you think that we're we're still in a race to the bottom? Um, personally, I think we've kind of found bottom on the West Coast. I don't know that the rates can go much lower than they are right now. I've been wrong in the past, though. You don't know what the carriers decide. One could wake up tomorrow and decide that they want to. <laughs> you know, drop rates, rates again to, to grab some more market share. So yeah, right. It, it mean, I, I never say never, 
But I do think like the carriers understand what their operating costs are, and they can't go below those for much longer. Uh, a lot of them are public companies. They have to answer to their shareholders as well, or they could be facing you know leadership challenges. Uh, and they are businesses. They have to operate. So they know what their operating costs are. I would like to, I'm interested again, this kind of goes back to the RPCs and how they decide to structure their business, you know, along those lines, how they want to price themselves. And, um, but I think a good thing that we're seeing is they are adding more value. And I think that they are understanding that, that if in order to bring the rates up to a level where they come back into profitability, they need to add value to that. So better schedules, more attached services, better origin and destination availability of equipment, things like that are going to come into the market. Uh, and that's what I'm looking forward to on that side. Wow, very cool. Well, I need a prediction from you. Who you got tonight? Is it dogs or frogs? Uh, I've been going dogs all day, so that's what I'm going to stick with. Team Red and Black. Team Red and Black. We got two. We got three for that, including me. Hey, thank you so much. People want to follow you, get your insights on Ocean on Twitter. You do a great job over there. We got a great community on Twitter. Where do they find you? Uh, at Navy Strang on Twitter. Uh, I don't post as much as, uh, as, I, as I used to, but I'm going to step it back up here as we're out on the holidays. So you know uh, what? keep an eye out. <laughs> I had one last question before I let you go. What, has the, what did $20,000 rates do to the psychology of pricing? So when you were paying $20,000, now you're seeing $2,500. Has that made them more palatable? Are shippers less aggressive about Argon now because they're just happy to see a nice number? Oh, that's a that's a good closing uh, a good closing question there. What I think ha- what I saw with the rates and what I think happened with the twenty thousand rates and what I'm seeing happen right now with the twelve hundred dollar rates is how much the shippers do control the market. Mm-hmm. I think that there's always been this assumption that either the forwarders or the carriers control the market, but it's really on the shipper side. Um, unfortunately, there's no real coordination right on the shipper side to to kind of drive that market. But the and, and it's not a popular opinion, and I'll say that right now. But definitely, you know, demand drove the market up, and lack of demand and kind of holding ground drives the market down. And I think that that is what we learned as an industry is just how much influence um, the shippers can have on 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 the market. Wow. Great point. Hey, a little cowbell for that one. I'll see you in Vegas. We'll be, we'll be good. We won't see any robots dancing. We'll, we'll be fine, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Andrew. Take it easy, brother. <laughs> good times. Nathan is a hey. very smart guy over there. Go find him on that, on that Twitter. Now, oh, hold on. We got to tip the bed one more time. Do you remember? I, uh, now I remember. Do you remember we mentioned AIT's Global Transportation Market Report earlier in the show? Capacity and pricing trends, air, ocean, and trucking, economic insights, etc. Well, what do you do once you have that useful data analysis? You turn insights into action. Partner with AIT's Global Network of Subject Matter Experts, and they'll design a supply chain solution tailored to your needs. Get started today at AITWorldwide.com. All right, Trey Kanemar, he's the director of national accounts over at Express Global Systems. They do flooring and specialized trade and all sorts of things like that. But before he did all that, he used to study frogs. Interesting man. Trey, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Trey, what, did, what, what can you learn from, what do frogs teach you about freight? Tell you what, uh, so many people I find in the freight industry did not intend to get into the freight industry, yet they find themselves there. I guess I'm not unique in that uh, that aspect, but I guess, uh, you know, the, the science and the math side of uh, school is where I gravitated, found myself doing research, problem-solving type things, and uh, I guess that was a natural transition to freight. 
because uh, certainly the environment is is one of problem solving. No, I hear what you're croaking about. I've I was uh, in the music industry before I came here. What's it like to, before we move on to freight? What is a fact about frogs that would amaze us? Well, I'll tell you that the majority of my scientific career was spent uh, studying crabs, uh, oh, which I guess I started with marsh ecology and uh, moved over to uh, saltwater uh, ecology. And so probably, although it seems like a lifetime ago, um, I guess crabs are really the area where, where most of my expertise was uh, around commercial development and and, well, how about a crab uh, fact? I guess how that impacts ecosystems. Interesting. Um, well, fiddler, fiddler crabs are the ones that uh, I primarily studied around uh, commercial development. So I will say that uh, the, uh, their, their large claws, they have a small claw and a large claw. Their, their large claws fall off uh, and they can re- continually regrow them. Wow. I did not know that at all. You know what I also don't know a ton about? About the flooring and the logistics of flooring. Where How does XGS fit into that? What, how is flooring different from like your regular FAK freight? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, XGS has been around since 1986 um, and in large part have served a niche role supporting the floor covering industry. We are the largest independent network that is, uh, you know, specifically geared toward flooring and and it's really a hard to handle commodity. And it's really, you know, one that a lot of the general LTL carriers shy away from. Um, it is an easily damaged product, specifically the rolled goods, being the carpet, the vinyl, uh, the turf. And Express Global um, really has leaned into that, uh, not only regionally where, you know, the majority of that, that commodity originates in the North Georgia area, but across the entire nation you know, with 45 facilities that uh, are really purpose built to serve the floor covering industry. And you walk into one of our warehouses and you see lifts running around and, you know, 75% of them have holes on them. And so we really handle a product that is very difficult to handle uh, damage free. Um, And that's something that is, uh, you know, a, a critical piece of the supply chain for the floor covering industry specifically. What are you seeing in warehousing space? Is there a lot of expansion going on right now? Are everybody looking for it or did the inventory glut, did that hit flooring? Yeah, so uh, it, it's interesting. Definitely, we've leaned into the warehousing side of things. Um, we have uh, just under 2 million square feet of warehousing uh, across the country. Um you know, we have really uh, positioned ourselves to be able to provide a lot of value add services for that warehousing, not just the space, but also the distribution, the pick and pack. Um, specific to the floor covering industry, we offer uh, custom cutting services for uh, flooring product. We've got cut machines in many of those facilities. Um, and so, you know, we have just recently uh, rolled out a new WMS system. Um, across our network uh, that really gives uh, a much needed real-time inventory visibility to our customers. Um, and that's a, you know, that's a unique thing when you start talking about a commodity that's measured in square yards, uh, which is not very common uh, in the marketplace across other, you know, just general LTL commodities. Interesting. What do you think the biggest challenge for your shippers will be in this space this year? 
Well, I mean, certainly, you know, there are some some headwinds, uh, you know, in the in the industry. Um, with that being inflation, you know, interest rates. Um, but with that said, there is still a large shortage of housing across the country. And so even with, you know, some slower new housing starts, uh, you know, people still have older homes. Um, and so, you know, there's going to be some demand uh, that, that is there this year. Um, I think that the, the thing that the customers really need somebody to be able to do is uh, partner with them uh, to specifically address the needs that they have. It's not a one size fits all uh, solution. And, and really, you know, that's something that we've leaned into to be able to, to have the size to service uh, the largest customers across the entire country, but also uh, the relationships and partnerships to identify what those specific things are that can make an individual customer more competitive um, and and really be able to to help them on that front. Interesting. You study you study these shippers like they're crabs, you know, like they're fiddler crabs, understanding their needs and their patterns. But you know, understanding patterns is incredibly important in freight. Like it's it's like migration, and it's you know, you mentioned flooring and how tied it is to construction. I know us, we're looking at like freight markets here. When we look at construction, we're definitely looking at flatbeds, right, and how that'll impact the flatbed market. And also, like as we saw during the pandemic, how that'll impact the retail market is people have to fill their houses with all different dressers and goods and refrigerators and all that kind of stuff. Variant. What do you use? to stay um, on top of all that? You know, we are, uh, we are obsessive with customer experience and partnerships. And so, you know, the, the level of communication and partnership that we have with a lot of our customers is, is I mean, it's intense. Uh, I mean, we stay in lockstep with what they're doing um, because we want to ensure that we are prepared uh, to to really be that final mile arm for them. Um, and so we know the role we play is critical in their competitiveness. Um, and so, you know, we follow all of the market data. We, we are, you know, obsessive over data, um, but it's hard to, to really replace those partnerships and conversations um, and transparency that we mutually provide each other to ensure that, um, you know, we are positioning ourselves to make them as, as competitive as possible. Wow. Hey, Trey, I got three things left for you here. One of them is a prediction. You're in Dalton, Georgia. I think I know who you're going to say. Dogs or frogs tonight? I'm going to have to go with my alma mater. I got my undergrad from the University of Georgia, so I'm, I'm all dogs. <laughs> I, I, that's what I suspect. I mean, we're based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. This is freight. We're mostly going to get dogs fans coming on this show. Um, the other one is where can people find you and learn more about XGS? So certainly. So uh, we have a really nice website that you can find at xgsi.com. Uh, you can learn a lot about our company there. Um, and then me personally certainly can find me on LinkedIn uh, and reach out to me there. You know, I have a lot of confidence you're going to get this one right. This is the last thing here. It's a trivia question courtesy of OK Boomer. It is from the Gen X category, entertainment. Trey, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What adventure comedy movie from the 80s featured the Truffle Shuffle? Oh, my goodness. Movies. You would, you would get me on movies. I'm not a movie buff. The Truffle uh -oh. Shuffle. I don't know. I think I'm, I'm going to be... 
I'm going to be the one guy. The Goonies? It's the Goonies. It was the Goonies. You yeah. got it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, Trey, thank you so much. Say hi to Crystal Redwine for me, and thank you for stopping by the show today. I'll do it. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. And here's the rest of the news that couldn't fit. All that's rest of print. Look at this. Here we got some NIMBYs on here. Let's roll this tape. So I'm just trying to enjoy my holiday at home. And when I put up my Christmas decorations, finally, this guy decides to park his big rig in his driveway, which I'm pretty sure is against HOA, and I'm gonna have it towed somehow and make sure that they don't get a chance to park, because look at that. That truck is as big as the house, and I don't think that's allowed. All right, Karen. So the truck not only is not bigger than the house, but if you saw it pan to the right, I think it may be a little bit bigger than his hovel. So that might be why he's so upset. That truck looks like it's in great condition to me. I mean, HOAs are HOAs. You got to live with them. I hate them. I personally don't live in a place with one, but that driver's being perfectly fine. Where are you supposed to park? The only good news I have about parking is that in McCone, oh no, this is bad news. McCone, Georgia has now kicked everyone out of parking in front of their houses too. That story is on backthetruckup.com. Actually, the only good story I have about parking is about spite. I have one story here about a building in New York, 145 New York is a building and they were supposed to build it. They were going to put um, a bunch of apartments in it and some retail locations, right? So someone from the city goes, no, you can't do that. It's got to be affordable housing. So the developer says, all right, 50% affordable housing. We got a deal. They said, no, it's got to be 100 so he said, you know what? There's no regulation against me putting a truck stop here. So instead of making affordable housing or any housing at all, he made a truck stop. So if spite is what is going to give us more truck stops, then I say spite to the world. All right. Next, we got a port robot. This one's not dancing. Let's take a look over here. My buddy Derek is talking about how those robots work over at the port of LA. He says, can you fire a robot? Now they have to shut down the yard so people can get in there and clean up this mess. The robot dropped one of those. Look at that thing. Got one more video for you here. Speaking of Tesla, um, you ever buy something that it goes on sale immediately? You want a little price match? I did that. I got a Samsung TV, went down 200 bucks the next day. I called customer service and they said, here's 200 bucks back. Dooner, well, here's what's going on in China. Let's roll the tape. So apparently... And that's why he, he tweets, protesters who bought Tesla stormed a Tesla store in China after price cuts and they demanded a refund on that price. I guess what's happened is the prices on these Teslas have gone down 13 to 24% over the past couple of months with some rapid cuts over there. And now they're saying like, hey, what about us, right? I want a few thousand dollars back. So they were frustrated. They were, they were there. I don't know if they pulled like a full on Brazil. It doesn't look like they, uh, I don't know. I don't see any shaman or anything there. Anyways, coming up on the show, right, Friday, we're all done with this one. Coming up on the show Friday, no, Wednesday. Let's talk, let's start Wednesday. We got the director of Candyland. We got, uh, remember, we're talking about that movie. Did you watch it over the weekend? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Um, he's coming on. We got Tom Griffin and Chris Steele from T-Force Real Worldwide. Rachel Premack, Rooster. We got Super Trucker. Thursday is a special What the Truck live from Freightwave Sales and Marketing Summit virtual event. And uh, I went out and I put together the biggest, most badass panel I could find of three men I thought had absolutely kicked ass on social media and social marketing in freight. Between them all, these guys had millions of impressions. I'm talking close to 100 million impressions. Mario Pangini from Store, Paul from Freight Caviar, Boris from Superior Dispatch. We are going to bring it to you on that one. That is Thursday. You can register for free at live.freightwaves.com. We'll send you all the links on there. And then Friday, we're talking about Vegas. I'll be going to Manifest at the end of the month. I'll talk to Pam Simon. She's the organizer of Manifest. 
about what's going to go down over there. We got Kingsgate's Tom Curry, who creates all those wonderful songs on Love the Truck you've heard, like our Christmas songs. In the meantime, find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Download the app um, for Freight Waves TV. Watch me in HD. Don't be a stranger. <laughs>